Hello, it's Pete here, the Managing Director of Game on Australia and co-host of the Game on Australia podcast. Myself and Dan, we're on holidays at the moment. It's the Christmas period. We're enjoying some much-needed gaming and spending time with the family and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, But we will be back week commencing January 7 and really looking forward to getting into it. In the meantime, make sure you check us out across all of our social media at gameonaus.com and everywhere else. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, the whole lot. But we thought we'd go through our archives and dig out some of our old favourites, whether they be interviews or just general things that gamers are talking about or even top news that might have made it that week. So, in so saying, enjoy the best of the Game on Australia podcast. All right, here we go. One, two, one, two, three. Game on, game on. It's game time. Excellent. Game on, game on. It's game time. Excellent. I've played with noobs Time after time Played Grand Theft Auto Committed many crimes Controllers that break mm, Sing it, Dan I've had a few I've played with people all over the world Sometimes I lose it's gaming, 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 gaming. I am a gamer, my friend. And I'll keep on gaming to the end. I am a gamer. I am a gamer. No time for tea. I'm in the lobby It's my turn to host I've played with strangers in chat rooms from all over the world And I thank you most Now it's time to take the points Oh yeah So follow my lead I got you six Look at that, I got shot in the head again But I never bleed That's because it's My friend and I keep on gaming till the end. Sing it with me, Dan. I am a gamer. I am a gamer. No time for reading. Cause I am a gamer of the world. We my friends and we'll keep on gaming to the end. Everybody
everybody now. We are both gamers. We are both gamers. No time for anything. Cause we are both gamers. Is this actually happening right now? I I think so. I think it's very, is, it's very early in the morning, but I'm pretty excited. It's wh- I, I tell you, Dan, I would get up at four o'clock in the afternoon for this, man. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. Uh, me too. Welcome to the Gabados Podcast. My name is Pete. My name is Dan the Internet. And for the next hour or so, we're going to bang on about gaming because we bloody love gaming, Dan. And Pete, what else do we bloody love? Bloody gaming, Bloody Dan. gaming! Uh, hey, really, really, really quick top three things that gamers need to hear this week. Dan, really quick, uh, we managed to get Xbox's own Major Nelson, the man, the myth, the legend. That's number one. Number two, we're speaking to him in episode 100. Yeah. Number three, Three. it's episode 100. It's episode 100. So please let me welcome the great man himself, the director of programming for Xbox Live, Larry Herb, a.k.a. Major Nelson. Welcome to the Game on Australia podcast. Hello there. Well, thank you for having me. Is, is this really happening, Dan and Pete? Is this really happening? <laughs> is this really happening? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. You tell us. Is this really happening? This is incredible. Um, wow. I mean, we we were uh, so excited. We, we asked the questions. We put it out there to the universe. And the universe has clearly come back and said, yep, we're going to bring you the best. Um, we cannot thank you enough for giving us your time today for episode 100, Major Nelson. Well, I can't thank you enough. For first of all, congratulations on the centennial masterpiece, 100 oh, shows. Thank you. Uh, I, are there are there any unreleased shows? The you know the lost shows that are going to be releasing. I really want to listen to that. Um, but I uh, I want to say I'm very excited to join you guys, and thank you for staying up so late. I know it's uh, I know the time zones are a little rough, but thank you. <laughs> it's uh, look, we're both married men um, with young families, and and at five past one in the morning is a great excuse to get midnight Macca's runs, which we don't get to do much anymore. So you know, this is thank you, this is great. Hey, um, here here. Look, uh, Larry, we wanted to take an opportunity to to, and this was while we were doing our research uh, uh, into you and and what you do and where you've come from, um, it blew us away that, uh, that you're a former programmer and radio jock with the company that's now iHeartMedia before you actually came across to, to Xbox. How does, how does a guy go from radio to being virtually at the top of the game when it comes to the gaming industry? Well, I'll tell you, um, first of all, yeah, you did your research. Um, I, I started in radio after I graduated university. And I loved radio because back in the back in the, those days, it was before all this conglomeration and iHeartRadio owned everybody, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it was a great, it was wonderful. A mom and pop company, and then they bought another station. And I just worked my way up. I did everything. I was an intern. I was a morning show producer. So you talked about getting up at, you know, one yeah. o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. I did that. Yeah. I was. I did morning show producer stuff. I looked at your studio. I saw your video put out. What a gorgeous studio you have! Thank wow. you. Thank you very much. Uh, We're very proud of it. It's. Uh, it's. Yes. It's ours, and we love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I started. I start, I was working in radio for many years, and uh, about 1995, uh, I was playing around with this new thing called streaming, and I went to my engineers and I said, "Hey, I've got this PC." This, uh, this 186 or 286 PC, I think if I download this real software, we can put the stream on the Internet. And everyone's like, what does that mean? Nobody knew what that meant. <laughs> so uh, I started experimenting with that. And we were one of the very first stations, series of stations in the, in the United States to be streaming. 
And so we did that for a few years, and then there was consolidation. And then Microsoft came after me and said, hey, uh, we see you're doing some stuff in radio and, you know, streaming. Do you want to come join us? We're going to start a streaming service. So I oh. said, okay. So I moved my wife and my family out to Seattle. We were living in uh, the East Coast right outside New York City. And I worked on that for their streaming product for a few years. And, and the next hallway over in our office, there were some guys working on some cool stuff, and girls. There were some folks working on some cool stuff. And I wandered over one day, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're building a game console. Oh. And this is before the Xbox really oh, launched. Man. And I was like, oh, really? So I started talking to them, and all of a sudden it just took off. And then I moved over to the Xbox team in 2003, and the rest kind of is history. That is incredible. It, it's And it's so funny that you say, you know, it, it's sort of like a... I don't know, like you wandered over there and you'd said, what are you doing? And then one thing led to another. And um, the the thing that blows my mind about this particular story is that, I mean, streaming back in 1995, would, as far as I remember, wasn't yeah. even a word. It wasn't even a conception that this was going to happen. And yet you look at, at what it is today and it, it makes the world go round. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting moment because we had to get a special circuit installed. That's what they called them in those days. It was the T1, which is, you know, back then was ridiculously fast, but nowadays it isn't. And we had to spend money to get that. I had to get that sponsored, which is a whole other conversation. I'm sure you guys understand that. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I started just experimenting with it, and I was, I was so excited when, you know, cause you, could, you didn't have a mobile device to could tune in. You had to sit in front of your computer. There were a lot of hoops you had to jump through to actually do this. And, in fact, one of our very first big broadcasts was our Halloween broadcast. And boy, I'm, I mean, this one coming up on the 1, 10, 20, like 23rd anniversary of that. Yeah. Uh, that was really a, a moment in, in for me, and I'll never forget it, where we were just in this back room with all this gear, and we, we were streaming across the Internet. It was just extraordinary. I, I can imagine the adrenaline run when that happened. It's almost like a... Um... Oh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, because you, you didn't even know if, if anybody was going to listen. Did they understand what it was? Yeah. And somebody, you know, somebody was listening and sent, sent, sent a note or came down and said, I heard it on the internet. I was like, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> big. So you're right. That's Back so then, it was, not a, it was a big deal. Today, it would be like, yeah, whatever. I can do it myself. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, you know, you've wandered next door, um, asked these guys, what are you working on? They said, we, we're working on a gaming console. Um, this seems interesting. Yep. Were, were you a, a gamer before you really got heavily into working for Xbox? I'll tell you, um, I was. And when I, I didn't think about it, but when I look back, I'm like, yeah, I actually was. I mean, I remember in high school pleading my, my math teacher because he had the keys to the computer lab. I said, could you just come in early? I'll buy you coffee. <laughs> and open it up. Because at that point, you know, people couldn't afford their, people couldn't afford their own computer so we had a computer lab and of course the school had some so i bought uh, him coffee and he would open it up and sit there and read the morning paper while i was just trying to figure out what is this thing what do you mean 10 20 30 basic understanding programming uh. and then i started playing these game this game called star raiders which is on the old atari system and i was like i was obsessed with this it was it was unbelievable uh you know back to the back now it looks ridiculous but it, my, my mind was just going crazy uh so i started doing that and then I started being this nerd who would download games from the Internet using this modem because I saved up all my money for my summer job. Mom, get off the phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, yes, mate, so we I hear started you. doing all of these things, 
and I would go down to the computer store because there was no way. If you were stuck in a game like Zork or any of the Infocom text games, you, you, there wasn't anywhere to go. There was no Internet. There was no chat board. There was no Twitter. You kind of had to wander down to your local computer store and hang out and hope somebody knew the game and could talk about it. Yeah. So in retrospect, yeah, I guess I really enjoyed I knew that this type of, of gaming, and I, I, it's entertainment. This type of entertainment was going to be huge. And sure enough, that's where we are. Yeah, well, I mean, right, you yeah. look at, you know, the streaming services and all that sort of stuff, it's it's incredible, and, and what a time to be alive. I mean, look, Dan and I have um, have spoken about this a little bit earlier on the podcast uh, this year, um, throwing around whether or not, you know, this is the year that is the, the golden age of gaming, or are we in a golden age of gaming right now? Because, you know, everything is available yeah. to you. You know, we've got, we've finally got half-decent high-speed internet here in Australia, and actually, just quickly on that, I want to ask you what's what's the average speed of internet that you get where you are in the U.S. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, I, I, they just deployed a new gigabit system in my area, so I'm getting about one gigabit down and about a little bit less than a half a gigabit. Up. So <laughs> I, I've got a pretty fat pipe in my house, um, and it's it's so I, I know that I'm I'm not the normal. I totally understand that. Can yeah. we can we move in? <laughs> <laughs> Sure, if you want to take care of that baby. Small price to pay. Small price. Small price to pay. We are we are uh, experienced dads, mate. So we can sort that out. Not a problem. Because look, you and and this might yeah. blow your mind, or you may very well know this. Um, here in Australia, we're we're lucky to reach speeds of fifty megabits per second for download streams here. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's funny because I saw you know you guys you guys are based in Perth, correct? That's correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I was, you know, because I know I've never been to Perth. I've been to Sydney a few times and Melbourne a few times. But I've always wanted to go to Perth. And when I was showing my wife, she's like, what are you doing? So I said, I'm doing this radio interview. She says, where are they from? I said, Perth. And she says, isn't that? And she kind of stuttered. She says, isn't that in the middle of nowhere? And I said, well, <laughs> it kind of is. But, you know, I'm sure that it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that is very true. Can you tell us, can you take us back to, because um, you had a, a fair bit to do with, from what we've read and everything, um, the, the different Xbox consoles along the way. Um, how did that conversation yeah. come up that um, you finally got a chance to become involved in what we now know as the Xbox 360? What was that moment like? Uh, it, was, it was a moment that I, I, it's one of those moments where you're in the middle of it, you don't realize how special it is. We were a small team um, in a in a uh, office building way off main campus at Microsoft, next door to a gravel pit. True story. Mm-hmm. And we would we would work away, and we were. I remember we were talking about, hey, we want to do this thing, and how about this, this concept of this guide that overlays games, and we want to do all of these things, and oh, we're going to always have we're going to have this thing called achievements. We came up with the idea for achievements. Or we want to do things like, hey, we want to have party chat or always on game chat, things like that, which nowadays, again, is like, of course, it's like running water. Of course, why wouldn't you have mm, that? Yeah. But back then when they were presenting it, it was like, wow, this is huge. So when I look back, it was a really small, tight-knit team of really incredible, incredibly smart people that were just passionate games. To be honest, we built it for ourselves. When we built the Xbox 360 and we built Xbox Live was like, this is what we wanted. This is why yeah. we built it. We have fun with it. We're like, this is what we want. So that's where that's kind of what happened. It's it, it's funny because I was saying to Pete, uh, uh, Larry, um, 
I've had stages of gaming, and I'm, I, I think I'm fortunate enough because I'm 45 years old. I, I grew up with the Atari 2600, like you just said, and then I w- went through the Commodore 64 and the Omega 500, and then I had a bit of a gap, and then I got the Nintendo 64, then I had another bit of a gap, and then my foray back into my recent 12-year stretch of gaming is the Xbox 360. So this is like a religious experience to me. Yeah. Kind sir, I'm not worthy. <laughs> but um, what well, I'll... Well, you're, you're very kind. <laughs> what I love, what I love about the Xbox 360 and and the One is that if it feels like the vision, and like you said, not just smart people, but also very creative people to think about this is not just a gaming platform or a ga- gaming console, but also a, a, a multimedia monster. This thing is, you know, it always has been since the 360. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I remember when I had a meeting about uh, boy, it had to be 2006 or seven after the 360 launch. Yep. And we were meeting with uh, this new team that was going to be spun up to work on digital media. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, well, we're going to bring this thing called Netflix to the console. Uh-huh. Netflix, what's that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I remember them building up this store, and, and all of a sudden we got a digital release. We got one. And then we had a movie. And then we had another movie. And all of a sudden it was that moment where it, it, the, 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 the dam hadn't quite burst yet. It was kind of trickling in. Yeah. But the dam burst about 2009, 2010, where just the, the streaming streaming video services and, and audio services were now the de rigueur. They were the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you were developing the Xbox 360, was it a case of, okay, we released the console, now let's get cracking on the next one? Or is there a bit of breathing space? Or are you even... You know, do you even have teams that are working on the next generation console as you're working on the one that you currently are? Well, I will say this, is that when we launched the Xbox 360 in 2005, um, we were focused on, again, as I said earlier, just creating a, a world-class gaming platform. We wanted to sell 100 million units in 10 years, which, I'm, which we accomplished for all intents and purposes. And... We didn't. It's not like we said, okay, that one's shipped. Let's go work on the next one. We <laughs> kind of had this, you know, kind of imagine if you will, this to do list. Like, hey, if we were to build another console, wouldn't it be nice if we did X or Y or Z? So we kind of had this this list over here on the side that we would add, and certain things were able to make it, and certain things weren't. But it's not. We didn't instantly go and just start planning it. That 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 started many years later. Um. One thing that I noticed listening to your podcast, which, by the way, is a is a fantastic podcast. One of uh, one thing that I really genuinely enjoy about it is just how easy it is to listen to, and I, I guess those that conversational sort of experience and that camaraderie that you have with your co-host is, you know, born of that that radio yeah. experience that you had um, years previous. And it's it's it is it's a delightful podcast to listen to, but. One thing that I did notice that you guys talk a lot about is the games that you're playing. And I see you are on everything and you are everywhere and you are flying here and you are hosting this and you are working on this. How do you get a chance to play games? Um, I will tell you this, and gentlemen, I think you'll appreciate it. I have an incredibly, incredibly understanding wife. She <laughs> <laughs> understands that this is work. Um, I mean, it is work, but it's also play. And I am, I, every single day I wake up, I, I realize how lucky I am to be doing something that is a hobby and a profession. Uh, but to rea- the reality is I find those moments where I can kind of jump in and and go through a game. And I like to, I like to sample as many games as possible, you know, indie games all the way up to AAA games. And I, I actually have a group of people 
that are good for specific games. I have a couple of people that are good for RPGs or first-person shooters. So what I'll do is I'm like, okay, we've got a new first-person shooter out. I'll jump in with them, and I'll have them essentially educate me so I can understand what they're doing. So it's kind of this bizarre network of, of subject matter experts that I lean on, and I can jump in and quickly get up to speed on a game and understand it. That's yeah, great. That is awesome. And, and I've got to ask, too, do you find, have you found that working in something you love, has it... Um, have there been times you've gone, oh, I really just can't be, you know, bothered gaming tonight? I, I, I'd say to people before, before because we, we, we essentially, I, when I looked at what you've done in your life, I was like, oh, my God, it's like, this is who I want to be. Because I, I, we, we've both started in radio. Yeah. We both started in radio but because we both loved radio, and we, that's how we, Pete and I met each other and started this thing out of it, working in yeah. radio. However, radio has sort of killed my love of music a little bit because there's certain bands and artists that we play a lot of in the commercial side of our radio station that I just think, if I don't hear that song again, it won't be too soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder whether... I, I'd love to go and work in gaming full-time, but I wonder whether my love of gaming would, would, yeah. would um, suffer as a result. Is that the case, or...? Well, I'll tell you this. It's interesting you say that about radio because that happened to me as well. I can't. There's like I, I have arguably because some of the stations I ran when I was in radio were hit music stations. You know, oh back yeah, in, yeah, uh, no, yeah. So I have my my friends say I have the worst taste in music because if it doesn't have a beat, I can't even listen to it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, regarding gaming, regarding gaming, it, it is something where you know sometimes I'm like, you know what, I really don't feel like I can play a game tonight. I want to spend some time with my wife yeah. or my daughter, or both, yep. which is every day. But, you know, there is, there is a little bit of like, okay, I've kind of seen this game before. What's, what's new about it? But what excites me is the creativity yeah. in the development space and the community and what they're doing. I mean, it is, it just keeps, it surprises me every day, like, you know, the fact that there's still a new game that can, like, make you go, oh, wow. Like, you can feel, I don't know about you, but in the United States here, we are two weeks away from Red Dead Redemption. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is, that is all that is being spoken about. Here in Australia, everybody, it, right. like our, our entire game on Oz community, everyone, all they can talk about is hurry up Red Dead Redemption <laughs> yeah. 2. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you do, you do, you do have these moments where you get, I, I'm, I mean, this is, it's kind of, it's kind of this interesting thing because I'll never forget it. I believe it was Halo 3, maybe it was Halo 2. I was down at, uh, at that point, Bungie was developing the, um, the series, and I was down there at their offices for a meeting, and I remember going into a conference room, and I was waiting for the meeting to start, I looked up on the whiteboard, and I was like, what am I looking at? And I realized it was the story flow, and I had essentially spoiled the entire story for myself. <laughs> Oh, no. And I was so upset with myself. I was, I was like, I was like, damn it! And I, so I went and I sat on the other side of the conference room, so I had my back to that because I didn't want to look at it anymore. Because I still get excited about storytellers, great storytellers, and great, great developers telling me a great story. Yeah. The, the, only, the only way that story could have been a little bit better if you had the music for Halo, the opening of you know playing in the background. That, right. that would have been absolutely. This, well, this I, music. This, this music. <laughs> I can say I believe I believe Marty O'Donnell was down the hallway, kind of tweaking the soundtrack. So it's not <laughs> far from actually happening. <laughs> okay, <yeah>, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, um, look, you you being across all of the the, the platforms that you have, the the numbers that uh, of people that come to watch you do your thing and and listen to your podcast and so on and so yeah. forth, you you must get sent that much stuff that you, you almost need a, a spare house for it. Is is that the case? And if it is, what's one of the coolest things that you've ever been sent by a company? 
Um, I'll tell you that they do like to send a lot of things over. But what I tend to do is I, I, I know I'm in a, in a gifted position. So I'll turn around and I like to give these things away. Oh, um, so I'll do contests and whatnot because I know that I'm in a rare position. There are a few items that I do keep, um, you know, you know, certainly a signed when I got, a, it was a specific game um, that was signed by the entire developer studio. Um, or even to be honest with you, it's those moments where I'm lucky enough and they include me in the game credit. That to me is, is very special. Yeah. That somebody said I was be able to just even, even a small part, be able to contribute to a game. As far as objects are concerned, there's very few objects that I hold on to because they're just ephemeral. I like to give them away. Yeah. Uh, but one that I'm most proud of is actually uh, we, the Xbox service won an Emmy Award, a United States Emmy Award. Oh, wow. So I am very proud of that. So, so I've got one of those. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. That's oh, unreal. Where, where is that right now? Is that sitting on a, on a mantle? Is that on the fireplace? Where is it? Well, it depends if you ask. Like, so a lot of people in L.A. like to keep them on the toilet. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Or keep them as doorstops or something uh, like that I believe, as well. I believe, I, believe it's, I, believe it's not a I believe it's on a bookshelf right now. It wouldn't be, it's, not, it's not in the water closet. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you've heard this saying, uh, uh, Larry, but here in Australia we have a place called the pool room, and it's like where you put all the good stuff in the house that goes to the pool room. And the saying is that's going straight to the pool room. Oh, well, yeah. And we could imagine that it'd be being in the pool I, room. I, that, I, 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 will, I, will, I will henceforth do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Hey, um, Larry, just a, a couple of more questions but before we let you go. And, and again, thank you yeah. so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, one conversation that Dan and I have quite often is, is you know, what is what, what year really – um, set a mark in terms of the golden age of gaming. I mean, this this year, 2018, um, the year kicked off with a whole heap of major titles. It's finishing off with a whole heap of major titles. But, you know, you think back to other years and other decades, 1996, 97, for example, is one for me that, that sings out to me because it was, it was Nintendo 64 and Super Mario and, and 3D gaming came to the the home yeah. console, so on and so forth. For you, what, what really was the, the golden era of gaming? You know, that is an excellent question. That's one that I think about all the time because I, I divide it up into chapters. Like you talked about the 3D era, and then 2005, we kicked off the HD era. Um, and then, you know, there's moments. I, I, there's something. You, you, you started the conversation here a few minutes ago talking about the Xbox 360. So that will always be a special console and a special moment for me. Yeah. Remember standing there uh, in 2005 in a desert when we launched a console in the United States and having all those moments and working with Peter Moore and Jay Allard and some of these people that, that have made such a lasting impression on me. Um, so to me, it's for a different reason that the golden aging of gaming was, was, was you know, probably 2005 to, to, to 2013. Um, that because I had such personal investment there. Certainly, I, I have a lot to do with Xbox One and all of what we've done there, and the world's most powerful console, with Xbox One X. But to me, because I, you know this chapter, this, this this generation isn't over yet; it's far from over. Yeah. And so, for me, the 360 is a very specific beginning and a very specific end. So it's it's a tidy package. Um, so I mean, I. I, I I just feel so warm and fuzzy about that, um, that 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 has to be my answer. Yeah. Um, what do you think gaming looks like in 20 years? Because we, we you know, every single time we think to ourselves, all right, we've, we seem to be hitting a ceiling here. 
um, you guys and and the other console developers and and platforms out there managed to to come out with something brand new and and manage to do it again and take it to another level. Where where are we in twenty years? Do you yeah. think? Well, I don't. I don't really want to say anything too much because I don't want to think people say that I'm confirming anything in the future. But you <laughs> did see Phil and the team recently, a couple of weeks ago, talk about our X Cloud initiative, which is basically streaming games over the internet. Um, and that, to me, I've seen. I've played with it. I've seen it in the lab. I've really enjoyed it. So, I mean, that's certainly one component of it. Um, but what I want to see over the next many years is is gaming being more prolific. And I think we're going to see that because. My daughter, your kids are going to be growing up naturally uh, being part of this connected generation. They are, they are digital natives. Yes. Meaning when they grow up, they grew up with the Internet and always being connected. You and I and maybe some of your listeners, we're digital immigrants. We mm. remember what it was like before the Internet, right? Mm. And all yeah. of a sudden we had to you know, figure out what this new thing is. Yeah. So, so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a, a proliferation of gaming, and it's just going to get larger and larger because this audience has grown up with it. We see Minecraft and Fortnite and all these other things. Yeah. I love Minecraft because it's such a lovely teaching tool. But we're going to start seeing these, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the, the gaming. Just it, it, it's already everywhere, but it's going to go places you couldn't even imagine now. Oh, take me there. Bring it on. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, Larry Herb, Major Nelson. What is your favorite part yeah. of the chicken? Uh, my favorite part of the chicken are the teeny little chicken wings. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. Yeah. I tell you, there's a nice, pl- nice with a little nice barbecue sauce on it, and a little hot sauce with some celery and blue cheese. Oh. That's the way you have chicken. And yeah. I tell you, 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 you've now, I went to America this year and I played at a, a, a place called Top Golf, which is like a golfing driving range with computerized golf balls that track your golf ball with the game. Mm. They serve the best chicken wings with blue cheese sauce and celery. Oh, man. Just, man, I'm there. You have <laughs> blue cheese sauce. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, well, you, guys, you guys know what I'm talking I grew up in, I went to school in upstate New York where the chicken wings were born, so I have had some of the most extraordinary chicken wings. Oh. My friends is my aunt. You have lived the life. Yes. You have lived yeah. the life, good sir. Far out. I, you know what? I, I don't even know how to how to round this conversation out because um, uh, I am without words uh, in terms of trying to express to you how much we appreciate your time. So, um, Larry Herb, Major Nelson, thank you so much, not just uh, from us, but on behalf of the, the Game on Australia community who, when we told them that we managed to get an interview with you, lost their absolute minds. Mm. Uh, thank you for giving us your time today. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you for all the great work that you've done in something that is uh, that we just absolutely love. Well, I've got to tell you guys are so... Um, you, you guys are very kind, and I, I love the audience down there in Australia. Every time I come there, it is it is a delight. So I am so honoured. And I'm, I'm look at it this way. I, I would love to come on your show again, maybe before the 200th or 500th, but uh, consider me consider me a special guest. So let's do it again. Yes, yes. Seriously, oh. Thank you for having me on the show. And congratu- congratulations on number 100. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And uh, when you do come to Australia, come to Perth, because we'll get you in the studio, and I know you like an espresso, and I'm an Italian, and my mum makes an absolute ripper. So, uh, mate, <laughs> we'll, we'll get him to you. Ah, uh, I need it after that long flight. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Major Nelson, all the best, mate. Thank you so much for appearing on the Game on Australia podcast. Well, I am, well, you're very kind, and I am very aware of what you guys do and the success you've had. And when the, when the request came in, I said, absolutely. Yes. I, I would be honored to be part of the part of what you guys do and to help support the effort because I want to 
I want to get the word out about gaming to everybody that I can. Just keep, I'll just say this, just keep up the great work that you guys are doing with the podcast. It is, it is phenomenal. Thank you. Larry Herb there, the one and only Major Nelson. One o'clock in the morning we came in to record that, and I'll tell you what, we do it all over again anytime. Absolutely spectacular. Hey, it's Pete here. Uh, look, we, um, we decided that uh, we'll almost spoil this episode if we bang on about gaming anymore. This is about as good an episode 100 as I think we'd ever be able to pull together with that absolute legend. So we're going to leave it there. But before we do go, there is a few more things that we need to say to mark this special moment in the history of the Game On Oz podcast. And we can do that with one simple word. Thank you. Thank you to our partners, uh, whether you're a sponsor, a publisher, or a developer who at some point over the last couple of years have given you time or your support by appearing on this potty for a chat or giving in some other way. Thank you. Uh, thank you to our contributors who genuinely believe in what we're doing enough to give their time so willingly and their support. They do it without receiving anything. They don't get paid for it uh, other than the joy of watching this community grow. And finally, and most importantly, thank you to the fans. Uh, the audience, the gamers, you listening right now. A couple of years ago, we jumped into a studio to throw together an hour of chat about gaming because we bloody love it as much as you do. And here we are, the biggest gaming podcast in the country, and it doesn't happen without you going to the trouble every week of downloading, streaming, or listening to us in some way bang on about bloody gaming every week. Your support means the absolute world to us, and we hope that at the very least we're paying it back in kind with a great place for you to come and hang out, a great community to find like-minded players who are so warm and welcoming of each other, no matter what platform you play on. That's the real cross console, by the way. And to be entertained. Uh, that's, that's all we ask. So thank you. And we'll catch you in episode 101 as we stream towards 200. Let's get this journey started. Uh, have a great weekend in gaming. And as we always say, don't forget to save. Here you go. These are a couple of people that we got to catch up with, a couple of absolute superstars in the gaming industry, uh, one from Xbox and one from Hitman 2. And um, we hit them with the rapid-fire Game on Australia questions. Take a listen. All right, it's Pete here from the Game on Australia podcast across the country, and we're doing the Game on Oz rapid-fire. I've got the esteemed pleasure of being here at PAX right now with Chris Charla from Xbox. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Now, for people who've never heard of you before... First, what are you living under a rock? Uh, second, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do? Yeah, sure. So I work at Xbox and I help run a program called ID at Xbox, which helps independent developers self-publish their games on Xbox One. Independent developers self-publish their games. That is awesome. How, how's it been going so far for you? Uh, it's been fantastic. We just hit our thousands game and um, it's pretty cool. Unreal. I love the fact that you guys are pumping effort into um, indie games and, and giving so much support because there are such incredible indie games out there that otherwise would never be heard of without the support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, having games from independent developers on Xbox is just an essential part of our platform mix, whether it's, you know, Cuphead or, you know, something else. Like, we just, we want to make sure players get to play those games. And uh, you mentioned Cuphead. You're wearing the shirt. I understand it, it must be a favorite. I, I love Cuphead. It's it's just amazing. Have you clocked it? I'm on the third island, almost. <laughs> hey, don't worry. I, I think I'm not even past the first island. I've been playing it for over a year. So, um, look, we're going to do something here called the Game on Oz Rapid Fire. It's just a, a heap of questions, really quick questions, really quick answers. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Uh, one question you always get asked at conventions. What's your favorite game? Okay, that's my next question. What's your favorite game? 
I'm not sure. <laughs> Good answer. Um, do you remember the first game you ever played? Yeah, it was Zork. Zork? Can you tell me a bit about Zork? Yeah, so Zork was a real old text adventure. Played it on an Apple II at like family friend's house. And it was the classic, you know, you know, go into the dungeon and collect the treasures and get out. Unreal. Just yesterday, um, I was mucking around at work and decided to go looking for lemmings. And I found it just to be able to play it again. It's, it's wild. Um, favorite game of all time. Did I ask you that? Favorite game of all time. I said I wasn't sure, but now I'll say Geometry Wars 2. Ge- Sorry, say that again. Geometry Wars 2. Geometry Wars 2. Again, for people who've never heard of it. It is an indie game that was on Xbox 360, and it's basically the ultimate twin stick shooter. Unreal. All-time favorite console. Xbox 360. Ooh, we spoke to uh, Major Nelson in episode 100, and uh, he said the Xbox 360 was his favorite as well, but um, I think it came from a a bit more of a a personal connection because obviously he was so heavily involved with it. Yeah, for me, 360 was just, it just had everything. There was all this great AAA software, and it's where, like, Xbox Live Arcade started, so all the indies got started there. So to me, it's just such a warm place in my heart for 360. Uh, If Battle Royales, PUBG or Fortnite... I'm PUBG. Of course you are. Uh, greatest gaming character of all time. Do you have a favorite? Ooh, that is a tricky one. I don't... Uh, I'll pass. Come back. Us? That's, we can come back to that. Uh, if you weren't get in gaming, what would you be doing? Probably work playing a lot of video games. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. That is a good answer. Uh, final question before we come back around to final question. Favorite part of the chicken? Uh, I'm going to go breast. Breast. I like. I'm a breast man as well. I love it because you get something out of it. You know, it's just, it's just chicken. It's thick. You can eat it. It's really good. Yeah. So good. All right. Uh, we'll come back to that other question. Final one. Greatest gaming character of all time. Have you got a favorite? I'm gonna go completely against probably every person who's ever answered this question before for you, and I'm gonna say Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. There you go. Uh, Chris Charla on the Rapid Fire for Game on Australia. Mate, absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for coming out to, uh, to Australia for PAX and all the best. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks a lot. So I'm here with Eskiel. He's the Associate Game Director of Hitman 2. First and foremost, thank you so much for giving us a bit of time. Thank you for coming. Uh, a pleasure. Great to be here. Uh, now, um, can you tell us a little bit first, before we get into our rapid fire questions, a little bit about what you do with Hitman 2? Well... Yes, sure. Uh, Hitman 2 is a a proper follow-up to the previous game we had called uh, Hitman 216. We're kicking off Hitman 2 just where we left off uh, the previous game. That ended sort of on a cliffhanger. So we have this whole spy story going on, and where in the previous game we put out a lot of questions, and then now we're answering a lot of these about Agent 47 and his handler Diana, and it's turning into this very personal story about his forgotten path. Unreal. So it sort of brings it all together, really. Yes, it does. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of the questions that fans and players of the previous one have asked, they will get a lot of the answers for these uh, this time around, yes. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. The Game on Australia community has a lot of Hitman fans in it, so there's a lot of people listening right now who are going to absolutely love it. Um, all right, so we've got a real quick series of the Game on Oz rapid-fire questions. Really easy, straightforward. You ready to go? All right, here we go. Uh, One question you always get asked at conventions. Is this going to be episodic this time? Is it going to be episodic this time? No. (laughs) Fair enough. First game you ever played? Ooh, I was asked this the other day. It was a cowboy game where you had to scroll up and down and you had like the handle of a gun and then you can control the guy and you could shoot, uh, you sort of shot 
uh, to watch each other. Do you remember the name? No, I don't actually. To be honest, I think it was before I could read. Oh, fair enough. My first ever game was a was a cowboy game as well. Um, it was called Wild Gunman, and it was on the Nintendo Entertainment System back in 1990 or 1991. Did you scroll up and down, and did they have a whack, and that went in the middle? And yes, and there was a, and there was a yeah, you could point with a gun and everything. Um, but it was almost like it was there like a bar that was, and you had to get it in the right spot and shoot, and that was your accuracy. Could be. I think something. I remember something about being able to sort of. Put, this was an, an arcade machine, yep. and and you had this handle of a gun, and then you could sort of uh, put it or like tilt it back and forth, and that would like sort of aim with his arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds fairly similar. I mean, if it is, mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah, that, mind blowing. Uh, favorite game of all time? Oh, that's hard one. You can no, say no. a Hitman game. No, no, I, I will not. But yeah, Hitman is is up there. I would have to say the first Mario Kart. First Mario Kart? On the Super Nintendo? Yes, I absolutely adored that game and played the shit out of it. (laughs) Man after my own heart. Although for me it was 64. Who did you play as? Who did you insta-lock once you got into the character selection screen? Well, I started with Mario, but then in the end I I, I kept being Donkey Kong and and, uh, what's his name? Bowser, right? Because uh, they had the best top speed. And when you started getting really, really good, it didn't matter that the, that the little toad and the, the turtle skill pad thing went. Uh, they were really, they had big, uh, they had fast acceleration, right? And and the big guys, they were slow at the beginning, but then they, when they came up, uh, you know, there was nothing to stop them. As long as you could keep yourself on the track, they, yeah, fantastic. Uh, okay, greatest gaming character of all time. Greatest gaming character of all time. Maybe the sumo from the old Bruce Lee game. Really? Yeah. What, can I ask why? What's the what's? Because usually when I ask that question, you get all the usuals, the cliches. You know, you get Link from the Legend of Zelda, or you get you know Mario, or, or that is I've never heard that one before. He struck me when I saw it. I think maybe it was the first multiplayer game I ever played. It was called Bruce Lee. I don't know if you remember it. No. Oh, it's amazing. It was, at least in my imagination. And, and you could play as Bruce Lee, which totally looked like Bruce Lee. He was thick, five pixels high. And then there was his, uh, this big, fat sumo guy that, you could, that I just remember, like, I want to be that guy. Unreal. Awesome. Okay. Uh, if you weren't in gaming, what would you be doing? I'd be playing games. <laughs> What is hilarious is when I came up with that question ages ago, I, was, I always thought people would go, okay, maybe, um, I don't know, I'd be a teacher or maybe I would be... In, I kid you not, 100% of the people that I ask that question to say the same thing. I'd just be playing games. Uh, final question, we'll finish this off. Favourite part of the chicken? I'm a breast guy. Second one. Second one today. That's two from two. Really? Yes, yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm a breast guy as well. I love it, right? Some, look, it's hard to get a balance right because sometimes they get it too dry. True. But I'll tell you what, it's when they get it... Turkey, so. Yeah, that's a very good point. But when they get it right, it's the, because it's the most meat. And the widest, and there's no bones, and you don't have these weird, I don't know, the, the thing that's not a bone, but that's still that you don't want to eat. What is that? It's the cartilage. I think I know what you know, the cartilage. Yeah, yeah. Not a fan of that, no. Yeah, unreal. 
Um, Eskiel is the Associate Game Director of Hitman 2. Thank you so much for hanging out with Game on Australia, mate. I really appreciate it. Good on you. This was a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, Alex, the loot box controversy, the last time, well, not the last time, but one of the last times that we did catch up with you um, was to give us an update on the fact that uh, there was a Senate inquiry that was going to happen into loot boxes and the controversy surrounding whether or not they constitute online gambling. Now, that Senate inquiry has taken place and recommendations have been made. Can you bring us up to speed? All right. So let's wind back a few months to how this kicked off. The Green Senator Jordan Steele John sat up in Parliament um, and said, hey, I have a motion. I'd like to move a motion to have the Environment and Communications References Committee uh, have a look into microtransactions and loot boxes. Now, to his and the Greens' surprise, uh, the representative for the Liberals in the chamber at that time turned up and said, yes, actually, this is a good thing. And also the communications minister, Mitch Fifield, has also mentioned this, you know, just around the chamber. And then lo and behold, Labor's representative turned around and did the same thing. So at the end of, you know, at this stage, this was June the 29th, the one of the very few bipartisan things actually went through and there was an upper house inquiry set to look into microtransactions. Now, that was due to report back by September and then there was additional evidence supplied to the committee. So they delayed it twice, first by a month into October and then they delayed it again until last week when they finally, or this week rather, when they finally handed down a report. Now, the report, which everybody can view on the Parliament of Australia website, makes one recommendation, just the one. Just one. Uh, it's n- not a particularly um, out there recommendation. It's I think a, a lot of people will be largely disappointed in how cagey it is, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just go through the recommendation briefly. Um, but the gist of it is, Uh, The committee recommends that the Australian government undertake a comprehensive review of loot boxes in video games and then commission further research, you know, and also look into all of the other things that people were asking them through the various submissions to do. Now, what's disappointing about this one? Firstly, it's nice in the sense that any changes are going to have to be done um, on a bipartisan approach across the states Mm -hmm. because... You look at things like a classification system, those things aren't mandated by the federal government. Gambling acts and things like that are also, you know, legislated and overseen by state bodies state across yeah. Western mm. Australia. Yep. You know, New South Wales, all the rest of it. That's right? why it's why look over here we don't have um uh those bloody pokies. Yeah, we don't have pokies yeah. in pubs and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Whereas you could go over to like Canberra, you go over New South Wales, so on and so forth. And yeah, you can go mm. and toss money into them and all sorts. Well, it's why also Northern Territory is one of the few uh, ter- you know, states or territories in the country that's actually mandated what games, like what video games you can place bets on. They've mandated that you can place bets on FIFA, you can place bets on Counter-Strike Global Offensive, things yeah, like right. that. Because is that right? Done, yeah, because it's done on such a state-by-state basis so people take action, you know, irrespective of what other states are doing. So that's, I mean, in a sense, if you look at it that way, it's kind of understandable why that they didn't take the actions that even state-based regulators were asking them to do, which one of the simplest things would have been would have been to make a change to the classification system that throws in some reference to microtransactions 
within classification labels. So if you have, say, like a, what's Overwatch, say it's an M-rated game or whatever it happens to be, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Then yep. you would include microtransactions as part of the label that goes on the box. That's yep. pretty straightforward, simple. And that's something that was supported by all sides of the aisle. Like there are a lot of differences in submissions that people make. You know, we've, you've got things like the representatives of the video game industry that are saying, look, loot boxes are not gambling under Australian law, which is entirely correct, but not. Although I think the debate is more about whether they should be rather than whether they are. Mm. Um, and that they're in can be in, entirely optional. You know, you don't have to like things like Path of Exile, things like Overwatch, you don't have to buy the loot boxes. You can earn them within game currency in some games, but then you've got like submissions from members of the public. Um, Douglas, who you guys would probably remember, a long time on Good Game and long time around the Australian industry, he made a really good submission as well. Academics that also did research into loot boxes and the effects that they've noticed on on users, they made submissions. So in a sense, the committee has largely taken the uh, none of them view and passed it down the line for the Department of the Communication Arts, which is the body that oversees the classification board. Yep. And they've said, you guys run it get in conjunction with, you know, the e-safety commissioner, ACMA, ACCC, because they're also involved in the regulation of the Interactive Gambling Act, which, you know, looks after, you know, all sorts of gambling things. So, you know, esports gambling, poker gambling, et cetera. And say, so you guys get together and you make some further recommendations and fund some more research into this. Because that's, that's the other thing that came out. So the other recommendation was to commission further research so essentially get some more qualitative data, get some more exhaustive um, input into the effect of loot boxes and also look into things like what other um, loopholes can be fixed in Australian law. So that's where things like you changes to your classification system, they'll be put in as part of that. You know, do we change ratings? All of that will come up as part of this second review. I um I look I understand people's disappointment that that um uh that you know there hasn't really been any concrete changes being made or pushed or anything like that. I I think maybe like it, my personal opinion is considering it's it's in the hands of politicians at the moment. Um I I didn't think there was going to be anything hard and concrete being done. I it, I almost felt that you know this for a lot of them is probably their first foray into yeah. um, this side of games and the gaming industry and, and would probably come back with recommendations of we need more information. We don't know enough about this. But um, do you think it's it's un, it was unrealistic by some people out there to think that, you know, you guys could be doing something straight away or do you think it's about on the money that that, you know, they probably do need more information? Uh, I think in terms of looking for stronger measures, if that's what they felt compelled to do, so looking at, say, changing the rating for games that have microtransactions, that was never going to happen, partially because the you know the classification system is a handshake agreement between the state governments yep. and the federal government doesn't oversee it as such. That was you know part of the deal when you know federation was put together there are things that are still managed by the states and that's one of them so that was never going to come up and especially when you're dealing with a lot of senators who are not always entirely sure what games people like let alone what microtransactions even are yeah you know it's you know you're dealing with such a gap in knowledge that these things are going to take time 
um, to do. Uh, there, I have actually have a, a comment from one of the deputy um, chairs of the committee, so the Liberal senator, um, Jonathan Junior, and he said to me was that it, it is clear that the issue is more complex and with many variables. But it was part of the the evidence um, to a lot of the inquiries. Hey, this is a thing that changes from a case by case basis. There's lots of different implementation things treat things differently. Yeah. And, you know, you can't have like a one size fits all and even a lot of um, representative bodies. So ACMA's um, submissions, so ACMA, you know, Communications and Media Authority, they said the same thing. It's like, look, this is not like a universal application of how microtransactions are used. You know, microtransactions in a AAA game are very different to how it's used to a free to play game, mm. you know, something like a Path of Exile, not they call that out specifically or like a free-to-play game on mobile you know so that engenders a lot of caution uh, which is you know and for gamers to already have this inbuilt knowledge you know it's easy for us to make all of these jumps and go ahead and then realize hang on there's a whole bunch of people that you know they're responsible for writing these things into legislation that they're not there yet yeah. So it's going to take time. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's so many questions and angles that they have to consider. I mean, even things like, you know, the, the gaming industry for particular games, we're talking years worth of play over time. Yeah, like, I mean, over overnight, um, Rockstar's released the, the um, early access for uh, GTA, or not GTA, um, for Red Dead Redemption 2 Online. Mm. And whilst they haven't turned it on just yet, that'll feature microtransactions mm. and stuff like that, like Grand Theft Auto Five did. And then, you know, that's going to be for years down the track. And you've got games like Overwatch, which are going to be played for years mm. yet, and yet they've been out for a while. So if there's major changes to games and classifications and all that sort of there's even stuff of, of looking back into history and going, okay, how far back do we actually make these changes? And yeah, it, look, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes looking down the barrel of something like this because it sounds like a, an absolute mess and minefield to mm. have to, to dig through. Yep. Yeah, and I think like the best thing that comes out of the result of this is the more awareness that you get through this process, even if there's no changes to the current regime or current systems or how we do things at all. Like, you know, this is not going to stop, you know, some shovelware appearing on iOS or Steam that's just riddled with transactions and it's just yep. wasting players' time, right? Yep. But if more mm-hmm. people are aware about it, then they're savvier, which means they're savvier about the purchases yeah. and the decisions they make in the future. So that's something. So I think, like, if people have spent a lot of time and a lot of years making a lot of noise, which is a good thing because... One of the, a, a tenant of any sort of politics is that you have to keep repeating a message until people are sick of it. And I think that's something that the gaming community can also, you know, take note of as well for the right causes. And, you know, this is one of them, you know, be aware of what you're buying. Be yeah. aware of what is good value for you, you know, yeah. because there are some people that, like dads, for instance, you know, you guys have got kids, you get into a game. A microtransaction to boost XP for you in one instance as a one-off might actually be worth it for your experience. Yeah, you know, yep. it's all about being aware of what you're spending, yep. having controls on what can be spent and what is worthwhile and what isn't. Yep, absolutely. Mate, uh, just really quickly, any thoughts or ideas on a time frame as to when all this moves ahead? Absolutely none. I asked the um, the Green Senator. Um, st- um, 
Jordan Steele John, what the time frame is, no idea. Other senators have no idea because this is like a recommendation. It's going to have to take um, a push from the government to actually launch this interdepartmental review, which means they're going to have to go to each of them and say, hey, what time do you think can work on your schedule? Because you're talking about getting a bunch of different you know, government bodies together that you know, that's a slow process. So I would absolutely not expect anything uh, for at least a year. Hello, Sam speaking. Hello, Sam. It's uh, Pete and Dan from the Game On podcast. How are you? Hey, mate. How are you going? Good, good. Sorry to interrupt your stream, dude. <laughs> uh, not a problem. They're all, they're all queued in. Are they? So are you still live right now on your stream? Correct. Ah, yes. Ah, what a legend. What a legend. <laughs> what a legend. We're on, so dead set, we're on speakerphone. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Hi, everybody. Hi, Hello. Um, we're, we're Pete and Dan. We're, we're legends. We're amazing. Um, <laughs> probably the biggest. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed biggest podcast in the country. No big deal. Uh, so, uh, listen, Sam, um, we're just going to have a, a quick chat to you about this extraordinary thing that you are doing um, called uh, Helmets for Habitat, which we got sent <clears throat> from the great team at Bethesda. Uh, so if you're good to go, mate, we'll get right into it. Yeah, I'm ready. By the way, what's your Twitch? Is is it on? Are you on Twitch? Are you on Mixer? What what's your stream tag? Um, I'm everything Sam Green Media. So Twitch, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube, all of it. The whole lot. Awesome. Yeah. What, what were you What were you playing on the stream before uh, we interrupted it? I'm currently playing Fallout Four. Oh, <laughs> did you play the Fallout seventy six beta this morning? Uh, no, I've got the collector's edition on its way, so I'm just sort of like waiting for it to all be ready, and then I'm just going to jump into it once it's, once it's good to go. Unreal. Well, we've got more questions about that uh, not too far off. But, mate, let's talk Helmets for Habitat. Tell us a little bit about Helmets for Habitat, what it is and who it's helping. Um, so I believe it's meant to be helping out, uh, it was actually just to cure homelessness uh, as right. a whole. Um, I'm not super filled in with exactly the um, everything that goes on behind the scenes with it all, but um, it was it was a good cause. Um, I'm doing lots of charity things lately, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's just a good one to sort of jump behind. It's awesome, man. Um, Habitat for Humanity. It's a global nonprofit. Local communities across 50 states in the US and more than 70 countries, and they're really advancing this vision. And Fallout 76 is obviously a little bit spiritual when it comes to global rebuilding, so it's a really great thing to come together. And uh, the the idea that we're seeing from this is that all of these artists that they've commissioned are painting the iconic T-51 power armor helmet in their own right. signature style. Tell us tell us about your signature style. What was the inspiration for your design? Um. Like I said um, we, in my interview with uh, the film interview, because I actually had a, a film team come over and, um, and yeah, they asked me the exact same question. It was, and I was struggled actually for a while. I had maybe like three to four weeks to come up with an idea and all that sort of stuff. And I sent them a few mock-ups, but honestly, I don't really do a lot of traditional art. So it was um, going to be a challenge straight from the word go. I figured they'd probably... Uh, got a few graffiti artists or um, you know any anyone that sort of paints to do them normally, and I'm just a sort of graphic designer slash digital art designer thrown into the works. And I thought, oh, it'd be nice to somehow get some kind of my cartoons in there uh, somehow. 
And so I started to mess with the idea of maybe like drawing, like getting some uh, felt tip pens or chalk pens and going like that. Or um, I came up with the idea of what it would be like if I was in Fallout and how I would decorate my own power armor helmet. And I thought that perhaps maybe I'd stolen it off someone else and may have been a little bit in the wars with it and sort of just getting about and finding stickers along the way and, you know, pretty much just decaling up my own helmet. That's awesome. Have you done any other pieces of work before to do with this sort of stuff? Uh, not at all. Not at all, actually. That's unreal. I've, some I'm just watching. Mate, we're watching your Twitch stream right now. Um, (laughs) Jeff underscore New Zealand said Sam would decorate it with Ugandan knuckles (laughs) I don't even know what that means but that's awesome it is so great to see that you've got a heap of people watching right now how long have you been a Twitch streamer for? Um, I've been taking it seriously for about a year and a half now seriously what do you mean seriously what does it take to be a serious Twitch streamer? well I I originally jumped on justin.tv uh, which was the predecessor of Twitch. So before Twitch.tv existed, um, I sort of jumped on there and streamed a little bit of my art behind the scenes stuff, which was pretty cool. And then gaming broke loose uh, for live streams. And so that's where Twitch.tv got born. It was so big that they made their own website for it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I sort of I stayed on Justin.tv for a while and then they eventually shut it down. And just given the Australian internet, I never really <laughs> bothered streaming that much. Um, I wanted to play games, and there was only four games back then as well. So I sort of just held off until I got a good enough internet connection, and yeah, here I am, a year yeah. and a half later. Yeah, fantastic. The internet, man, I, like it's Halloween because we're you know we're obviously recording this on the thirty first of October. For those of you listening to the podcast, come. It's uh, launch date on Friday, this episode, but it's Halloween and people have been asking us all day, tell us a, a, a horror story. We say Australia's NBN. Sit down, kids. We've got a spooky to- story to tell you. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, uh, mate, before we let you go, because we want, we want to let you go and get back to your stream and everything, but uh, we're going to hit you with the Game on Oz rapid fire question. Are you ready? Questions. <laughs> Sure. All right. Uh, now, if you ever rock up to cons, I don't know if you do or if you ever feature your artwork at, at uh, conventions and whatnot. Do you have a question that you always get asked at a con? Um, not too much. I sort of, well, PAX just passed. Um, I don't really have too, I, don't, I haven't really done a panel or anything like that or any questionnaires, but I've done lots of live streams. We, I mean, we could ask someone in the chat if they have any personal questions or interesting questions. A lot of people ask what type of programs they use and all that sort of stuff and how long I've been drawing. But other than that, yeah, not too much. Oh, how long have you been drawing for? Uh, my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been animating for around 17 years. Unreal. Yeah, um, first thought. first game you ever played? Super Mario 1, I believe. Oh, um, classic. Probably, there was probably uh, some kind of build your own robot game on the Atari, which I have photos of, but I don't remember. But hmm. tomorrow one, first two loves, first story. Awesome. Uh, first game. Favourite game of all time? Tomorrow Brothers 3. <laughs> oh, man, good choice. I picked that back up when the NES um, Mini Classic came out a little while ago, and 
Uh, I don't remember the levels being that short. Like I was blowing through levels in 15 seconds to 20 seconds time. Not a problem. And I swear to God, I do not remember the levels being that short when I was a kid playing that game. Yeah, now that like you know all the hints and tips and the tricks, like with all the whistles, you can get to World 8 within three levels. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, greatest gaming character of all time, in your opinion? <sighs> Trying not to tick my own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have to be. Um, the fact he's Italian, he's a plumber. Yeah, the Brooklyn accent. It's the big M. <laughs> yeah, the big M. Uh, in the movie uh, anyway. But um, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's awesome. If, uh, if, if you weren't in gaming, what would you be doing? Or if you were rather, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, whether it be gaming or, or um, being an artist, what would you be doing? People ask me that all the time. And I, like, I have had that a few times. And I just don't have an answer for it. Uh, I would maybe be in... Oh, I I couldn't tell you. I've just been that ignorant straight from high school that I've just done it. I've been poor for nine years and I worked out how it worked and now I'm sort of like making a living from it uh, comfortably enough and I just couldn't look back, honestly. Maybe game design. Uh, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many avenues that I already do, <laughs> you know, as far as marketing, game development, uh, art, animation. You know, it's all, it's all there. That's so, fair enough, mate. Tutorials, teaching maybe. Maybe teaching. Oh, cool. Yeah, teaching. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, last one here. Last question. Favourite part of the chicken? Probably the, the leg. Ooh. Yeah, definitely the leg. Really? There's not much yeah. meat on the leg, man. Uh, it's just it's easy to hold on to. <laughs> depends on the leg too, Pete. The there can be meat on the leg. Yeah, they, well, yeah, no, that's true. Like yeah. it depends if you get a decent sized chicken. But yeah, yeah, man, yeah, I'm a I'm a breast man. I am definitely a breast <laughs> man. And if it's cooked right, like sometimes it could be too dry. But I I love a good moist breast. Oh, I feel know. like it's right in the middle though with the with the leg because if you want the the skin or the um or the crumbs around it, then you know it's got a good medium ratio of uh, meat to crumbs. So yeah, if it's KFC, I'm always going for the leg. Ooh. Mm. KFC, uh, original recipe or hot and spicy? Uh, actually, used to be original, and I still love the original, but I'll, I would always go Wicked Wings if I can. Or, you <laughs> oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, nice yeah. one. Real nice one. Well, <laughs> sure. mate, look, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, Sam Green, you can also check him out at Sam Green Media. We are actually watching his stream as we speak. Mate, we're dropping your follow. It's happening. Thank you very much. Uh, Game On AUS has just dropped you a follow. And uh, thank you for the peace sign, brother. Appreciate it. And a big shout out to all of your your listeners. You've got your watchers. You've gone from 27 viewers concurrent to 40 right now. And I've got to admit, I feel like we've had a hand in that. So you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're very you welcome. <laughs> Mate, you're doing a great thing for, uh, for this worthy cause. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it on the Game On Australia podcast. I appreciate it, boys. Take care. Good you on you, too. Man. Good on you, Sam. Take it easy, mate. No worries. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Hey, really quickly, let's let's uh, tap into his Twitch stream and see what he's saying about us. <laughs> um, oh, I always get nervous in interviews. <laughs> I always want to like be funny and say something clever, but he sounds English. Did I do okay? PUBG chicken. Oh, see, why did I say that? (laughs) 
What's your favourite piece of chicken? Uh, a royal? Chicken royale. Alright, where am I doing here? I'm cha I changed guns. Oh, I can go to laser. <laughs> oh, God, he's it's gonna be brutal. What a legend, Dan. What a what legend. He's, good, he's legend. a good guy, right? Yep. No, he's not. All right. <coughs> so there we go. Sam Green Media. Um, beautiful. Chris Smith is the founder and director of Big Esports. He's had quite a storied history in esports in this country. Some of you may know him from us having spoken about him throughout other episodes of the podcast and uh, having bits and pieces to do with Corsair over the course of time, as well as a whole heap of other things, including the CSGO scene. But it is an absolute pleasure to have him on the Game on Australia podcast for a pretty amazing announcement. G'day, Chris. Hello, hello. Happy to be here, mate. How are uh, you? Mate, uh, so good. And thank you so much for giving us your time this week. We thought we'd get you on because look, we've known each other for a little while and be, we've been watching the way things have been going for, for business in games, which you're the founder and director of, as we mentioned. And now a, a fairly big change and it seems some pretty amazing things are on the horizon. But this thing crossed our paths during the week. Uh, today we announced Big Esports in partnership with the founders of AAA Mobile Game Studio and World Series Poker Champions. Mate, uh, this is extraordinary. Congratulations on the announcement. Thank you. Thank you very much. Look, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a while coming, but uh, really happy to have this out there. As you know, all good things take time. And uh, while... You know, myself and many people in the esports business life aren't too patient. Sometimes you've got to show a bit of that patience and, yeah, let things bubble away behind the scenes before you can throw it out into the public. Exactly right. So, um, look, I, I suppose, as I mentioned, I mean, I've, I've known you for a little while and so I know a bit of your history, but for a lot of the uh, listeners of this podcast who are, you know, like us, your, your average gamers and esports sort of lovers, they don't delve too deeply in the behind the scenes of the industry. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history through esports. No worries. So it's been about 10 years for me now in the space. Started out, as many people do, just as a player, playing a, a lovely title called Battlefield 2 in some top levels around Australia in, in different tournaments and, and playing different roles. For any of those of you who are Battlefield fans, the commander was, was my role of choice. So loved uh, selecting the squads and telling people where to go. But And, uh, mate, yeah. can I, I, I've just got to stop you there because I saw a post pop up this morning. Um, you have... Yeah the number two tattooed on your leg and, and it's to do with Battlefield 2, right? Correct, I do. Come on, tell us a little bit about it. All right, so I've got a, I've got a uh, best mate down in Tassie where I grew up and um, I went down to see him once and he got the outline of the two tattooed on his arm. I thought he was a little bit crazy but then decided I had to one-up him so I got the full thing done on my leg, filled in and everything and then we went after PAX Australia last year and, and got his coloured in we're matching. So... We took a nice photo last weekend. It was actually his wedding and I was his best man. So we got a lovely Battlefield 2 matching double tattoo together. Oh, mate, that's fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a true and pure gaming story if ever I've heard one. That's great. So following on from Battlefield 2, where'd you go next? Yeah, so I went into a bit of similar to your life, actually. Became a commentator for a while with an online radio station called Net Game Radio. Obviously, in those days, you couldn't stream Twitch TV. There was no, not, not good enough upload or download for anyone. So it was all over the radio, so no pitches involved. And obviously that means I can talk a lot. So I managed to fill in the fill in the blanks there. So I did that for a while and started taking a little bit more ownership and agency within the company. So I started doing some marketing assistance with them. I started doing some game reviews, started 
commentating for Counter-Strike Source as well as Battlefield 2 and, you know, just trying to help the company grow a bit and ended up getting presented with the opportunity to help commentate and run a $30,000 Counter-Strike Source tournament for a, a company who ended up liking what I did so much they offered me a job. So I moved up from Tassie where I grew up to Victoria to work for Thermaltake and TD Esports for four years in, in marketing, uh, PR, community management, etc. And uh, yeah, it kind of blossomed from there. I was a semi-professional Counter-Strike player during that time in a, in a top four, top five Australian team. I you know, run some gaming teams, managed some professional players, done a lot of influencer work. I had a stint as a journalist for about a year, year and a half while I was at university, writing about tech articles, doing reviews and some, some opinion articles on esports and otherwise. And um, yeah, I decided that I'd like to work for myself and mainly would like to promote the Australian esports scene and push it forward. And for me, it's it's all on the business side. You know, I want to help not just people make money, but help the scene grow because ultimately in the end, a lot of it's about the players, whether they're the professionals or the new people coming up. And look, for me, I didn't have those opportunities to play professional at that time. So I'm uh, now kind of enabling some others to be able to do that. Um, with that in mind, you know, I, I guess around about uh, there, business in games was created. Am, am I right? Yes. Yeah, it was. So, you know, business in games were big, just started out as a podcast only. And you know, as many startups do, for, for anyone who's interested in getting into the startup space, I highly suggest reading a book by Eric Rees called The Lean Startup. And what you do is you create a minimum viable product, which is a very simple company. Think of it as an alpha or a beta, just like a video game. That works and, and can function and can move, but it's definitely nothing polished or finished. You push it out there, do some testing, do some changing, um, take it back off the road for a bit, you know, maybe put on some new wheels or some different decals, put it back out there and see how it goes. And, and in the end, you know, once you've done that 1% of the time, bam, all of a sudden you've got yourself a company. That's amazing. So business in games itself has been around for how long? So business in games itself, say about a year and a half now. Um, and for me, full-time, I've been working since the 20th of April. So we're just coming up over four months full-time for me into this now. And throughout that period as well, um, you've also been a part of something pretty special for the industry. You, you know, you speak uh, about things like um, making sure that there's, you know, responsible ways to treat players and so on and so forth. And that's where uh, another little side project of yours came about. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what you're talking about is obviously the EGAA, the Esports Games Association Australia. So, that functions as a member-based organisation. So that means that the members actually get to join and have voting power and get to make the decisions over what's, what's done. And look, a lot of that was that, you know, people like myself and others who've been around the industry for a long time, we don't necessarily know exactly what the people on the ground want to get done, but we often have the contacts and, and knowledge on how to actually get these things done. So we need them to be able to provide us with some direction. So, you know, nothing else, it's fairly standard uh, democracy way, I think it's set up, you could say, where the constituents or the, or the members or the people can kind of say, hey, you know, here's what we need to get done and here's how we need help. And, you know, a lot of that so far has been looking at promoting diversity in esports, which is something that's, that's wildly lacking. Um, and also talking to a lot of the teams as well, because, you know, teams are kind of the fastest growing component of esports right now. So we want to say to them, hey, you know, how can we help you make money? What are your struggles and what do you need help with? And sometimes that's things like contracts or basic uh, understandings of how to set up business or do their tax and, you know, some other boring things like that. And other times it's, it's even more exciting things on, you know, the best ways to operate a tournament structure and, and how, to, 
how does you know all that kind of money flows through or different rule sets they want changed and things like that compared to the rest of the world with who have been you know um having fairly well versed esports tournaments and cultures uh for a lot longer than australia has what is it that that Australia is missing at the moment, or some of the things that some of the real prevalent issues that that are you know around in Australian esports and gaming right now? Look, a lot of it in Australia is very similar to globally, and you know I had this discussion yesterday uh, with a client, and a lot of it is about people that are just figuring out how to make money at the moment. So some people were asking me um, in a couple of interviews not too long ago whether esports is like the dot com bubble and the dot com boom where you know, 20 years ago or so now, everybody was making websites because everybody was going to go online and everybody was going to sell everything online and everybody was going to become rich, kind of like Bitcoin. So, you know, people were making carpet sales online and truck sales online. And it turns out that after they spent all this money, there was no way to make that money back because there weren't any users. So then everything fell over. There was a big crash. Whereas in esports at the moment, there's actually millions of fans and in Australia, there's, hun- there's tens to hundreds of thousands of fans in esports, but people aren't sure how to unlock those fans and to how to contact them, and then not sure how to make money out of them once they have them contacted. So that's a lot of the issue at the moment. There's a lot of what we call non-endemic companies who you know aren't currently in esports that want to spend money in the space and investors, and there's a lot of fans, but it's that portion in the middle that people are trying to figure out at the moment because it's not as easy as just making a website like it was for the dot-com boom. So mm-hmm. you've got the same three portions. You've got the people, the medium, and then you've got the money. So right now, the dot-com boom in the past was missing the people. Uh, we've got that. We're just missing the medium in the center right now. Gotcha. Um, I mean, you mentioned non-endemics. There is, There are examples, um, I don't have to tell you, that um, they are starting to look into the space. I mean, you look at Gfinity, for example, the Elite Series, and you've got mm. Dare Ice Coffee who have who have thrown their hat in the ring. And um, so I, I think the time very much is ripe for, for this to be pushing forward. Yeah, exactly. Look, there's there's been quite a few non-endemics. And, you know, when I actually put them all down on a slide to, to present to some people during a recent uh, speaking tour with the Ministry of Sport, it was crazy to see how many. But, you know, even rattling some at the top of our heads, you know, uh, Peter's uh, or Nestle Maxibon, they were one of the first non-endemics to come into space, which is fantastic. And, you know, you've seen the telcos come in now with some support from Ovo Mobile, Boost Mobile, and, and wider Telstra. You know, there's been AFL teams come in, but the AFL themselves, as far as, you know, brands go, there's Dare Ice Coffee, Maccas, um, Schnitz did some play in 2015, 2016. You've had Banks in here as well. Um, you know, Hungry Jacks with the OPL. Um, and you're seeing some rather large investors in Australia starting to pay attention as well. People that are holding multiple billion dollars in portfolio, um, taking interest in esports and wondering where to place their money. How, in your mind, as far as esports in this country is concerned, like a lot of people liken it to the wild, wild west right now. And, and that's a, a very fair um, sort of summation of it, although it is slowly getting better. Um, how long do you reckon it take it, it'll take Australian esports? So how many years before we're out of that sort of wild, wild west era and we're into a a really nice professional, streamlined era of Australian esports? Honestly, it's really hard to say. the The advantage of esports is the fact that you can make a new brand and be competitive fairly quickly. But then that also means that people who tote they can make a new brand can kind of you know win over investors and and non-endemic brands and kind of sell them the story without actually being able to action on it. So you could say globally that, you know, depending on how you look at it, the Wild Wild West doesn't exist in America because there's some companies that are worth $30 million. 
like Cloud9, et cetera. Um, however, you could, you could also say that it still exists because sometimes if you come in with a $100 million investment, you could make a large team to be competitive on a global scale. So if you look at a team like Fnatic, who's actually two Australian founders, um, it's a mum and a son founder, um, they've been based in London for many, many moons now. You know, they're, they're valued at, at less than a team that was made, you know, eight years ago or so, and they've got a 20-year history. So it's not always the people that have stuck around for a long time that are worth a lot more, a la, you know, Toyota versus a new car brand trying to start, minus Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to say. And obviously, you know, in Australia, that means that all the dollar values are a lot lower. And money is worth pretty similar in Australia than it is to the US. You know, 10 bucks is 10 bucks or 10 million is 10 million. So if you've got a team that's worth $30 million, it's not that easy to convince some investor, no matter how rich people are, you know, $30 million is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. don't stay rich by throwing that away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to be competitive in Australia, if you pull one, two million out of your back pocket, you can definitely have a top level team. But if you do that in the US, you're going to have to to pull some fancy cards to, to be able to do that yourself. Unreal. Now, uh, look, there are obviously we have our, our our great audience that listens to this podcast, and as time goes on over the last couple of years, we've um, noted that there are a lot more uh, industry insiders that have taken to listening to Game on Australia as well, and you know they're probably people that are looking for answers that business in games uh, is going to be able to provide as things go on, and and even now. Um, how would you uh, summarise what business in games esports is going to be doing for Australian esports moving forward? Sure. So, so with so with big esports, there's a there's a couple of different things that we do, and usually it's split up into the B2C, which is business to consumer, and the B2B, which is business to business. So, for the business people listening, the B2B side, we do mainly strategy consultancy and education with non-endemic brands and investors and, and you know, increasingly doing more with endemics too. And what that generally involves is actually teaching people how to do their own research and how to understand esports from a business sense. So we find that some people will um, just want to, you know, take a bit of money to run a project and keep the client in the dark. But unfortunately, that means that if the client changes internal processes or isn't happy with that one particular company, which happens sometimes, they might never come back to esports because they don't understand what they're investing in. They don't understand the value of it and what they're paying for. So you can kind of liken that to the old adage of a, of a wife going to a mechanic and, and the mechanic saying, we need to change your, your blinker fluid and things like that. So we like to educate people to help them understand it, to have their own buy-in and, and then do a bit of strategy with them as well and talk about, here's some different ways you can enter the market. Here are some ways that other people have done, but giving them an understanding of the costs as well. So not just how much it costs you to sponsor a team, but here's actually how much money the team has to pay in salaries and travel and housing. Um, and here's the money that they're likely to win um, and get back. So they can get an understanding of the whole market and then they can decide because, you know, in esports, there's so many opportunities. You can sponsor a, a team. If you're a brand, you know, you might want to sponsor influencers. You might want to sponsor an event, maybe all of the above, maybe a trade show, you know, maybe some business to business stuff, some conferences and, you know, PR companies, et cetera, reviewers. They're all different. And there's so uh, many a podcast, ways if I can throw that in there, a podcast. Yeah, a podcast as well, <laughs> fantastic. So, you know, it's, it's like traditional sports, right? It, you know, the only, if you think about it, a lot of people only think about teams in esports, but in traditional sports, there's so much more than just Collingwood Football Club that runs onto the field. There's so much more to that. So there's so many different ways you can get involved. And, you know, as for the business-to-consumer stuff, we've got a couple of events coming up soon. We'll have a, we'll have a boot camp that's announced for some people to come along and learn about 
some different things, including health and wellness and getting better at the game and, and um, about technology. We've got some mentoring courses that we run as well online and, and a bit of a podcast of our own, which is, which is usually monthly, which is live in a venue in different states around Australia, kind of talking about special business topics. Unreal. Mate, um, AAA Game, Mobile Game Studio and World Series Poker Champion uh, have jumped on board with this. You're in partnership with those, and mm. that's really exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about those two entities? Sure. So the investment comes from uh, the founders of Playside Studios, which is actually where we're based out of here as well in Port Melbourne. So Jerry Suckers being the CEO and, and co-founder and, and um, his other co-founders around him, I chatted to them a while ago through LinkedIn. Uh, the power of LinkedIn is quite good and and um, just gave them a bit of education on what esports is because they had some ideas to get involved. And they came back to me and said, hey, look, I know we chatted about all this stuff, but we like you and we like what you're doing. So can we get involved with you instead? So, you know, that's where that discussion kind of started off from. And, you know, during those discussions as well, I talked to Joe Hashem as well, who's very well known in the poker community around here in Melbourne. He's the face of, of poker at Crown and He's trying quite a few different innovative ideas in poker at the moment on how to reinvigorate the game a little bit and see how he can add team-based play into poker and, and change some things up because it's been quite the same for a while. And, and look, he, he said something that I agree with a lot was he doesn't fully understand esports, but he knows it's going to be something massive and it's something that he wants to get his foot in the door and involved with. So be working with um, with uh, those those two groups plus a, a couple of smaller private partners as well to yeah help grow esports in Australia and look ultimately that that's what the that's what we're trying to do here at, at big at big esports is to just grow esports in Australia in the business sense to give everybody a bit more of opportunity to be able to compete better against themselves and also better against the rest of the world well we want to see that happen mate so we wish you all the best um, we really appreciate your time here Chris Smith is the founder and director of big esports there's business in games and if you want to get in touch if people listening to this want to get in touch with you because they've uh, liked what they've heard and they want to chase that up and get involved. Where can they uh, reach you, mate? Yeah, fantastic. Just on Twitter is probably one of the easiest, at Smithy Mayo or Chris at BigEsports.gg is my email if you want to get in touch or just BigEsports.gg is the URL if you want to check out the website too. It is my absolute pleasure to be joined by Justin Vingerhoots. He is the lead producer of Arena Esports and also from Kanga Esports, who are doing just incredible things. We, in fact, bumped into each other uh, a couple of weeks ago at PAX over in the Eastern States. Of course, we're here in the West and uh, thought, you know, we've got to have a bit of a chat. We will talk about what's going on in Atlanta. But, Justin, welcome to the Game on Australia podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks heaps for having me. Mate, uh, look, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, yeah, they're your average gamer, and they don't mind me saying that because they know it represents a beautiful thing. So a lot of them have often never heard of uh, a lot of the people that we speak to or the things that they represent. Let's start a little bit with Arena Esports. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Arena Esports is a half-hour television uh, esports news and current affairs show. So unlike a lot of the other shows which uh, your viewers may have heard of uh, around Twitch or, or Facebook, YouTube, anywhere uh, along the internet, we're actually a broadcast television show and uh, that, get, that gets made here in um, Australia and, yeah, gets gets pretty much goes to air around the whole entire world. And, mate, when you, you, you're dead set on the money when you say the whole entire world. You guys are up past, what, 30, 40 countries? Yeah, so we, we're sold uh, internationally, yeah, to well over 30 countries. So we're, we're really big 
across Canada. We're really big across Southeast Asia, parts of Europe, uh, even ESPN in Brazil. So our show is, yeah, everywhere. And it goes to air in in, in over five different languages, would you believe? So, okay. And and what happens? Do you send your... Give me one of the different languages. Just give me an example of one. Uh, well, Spanish. Okay, so you send your um, you send Arena Esports the taping uh, once it's edited and all that over to Spain, and then they dub over the top of that. Is that how it works? Yeah, so we provide them with the scripts of the show, and then from there a translation happens. They get their own voiceover artist in and essentially do what we do, but in their language. Have you um, seen Have you seen those episodes where they're doing it in their own language? Is it a bit weird? I have, I have. I've seen the German one very recently, and I lo- you know what? I love it because if there's there's one thing in arena esports that we really pride ourselves on is not only being diverse in culture, esports culture from different places around the world, but also diverse in the in the games and leagues that we show. Yeah. So the fact that we're across the world in multiple languages is exactly what arena esports is all about. And mate, you know what? That that is esports and gaming in a nutshell. I mean, if if particularly the way online. Uh, gaming has evolved over time. You know, you you could be speaking to anyone from around the world. And, mate, I know me personally playing online games. I've got friends of mine that live in all sorts of countries around the world. Gaming is that diverse community-based culture. It's a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. It's um, it's something that the world has, has embraced, and it's not going away. Gaming's not going away. Esports isn't going away. It's time... If you're not on board, if you're not in it, it's time to get in it. Now, tell us about Kanga. This brand is going from strength to strength. And may I even say bounding, my good friend, bounding. <laughs> yes, Kanga Esports is going uh, above and beyond. A lot of a lot of people in Australia might recognise them from the, the Overwatch Contenders playoffs that happened uh, over in Melbourne. Um, so they had their Overwatch team there. We've got a couple of guys in the in the fighting game community scene which have gone to big events like um, BAM10 to compete against some of the world's finest eSport athletes. Uh, but, but more to the point, uh, their Paladin squad is currently overseas in Atlanta, Georgia uh, at DreamHack uh, competing for a $300,000 prize pool, <laughs> would you believe? Jesus. Now, tell us a little bit about DreamHack because for a lot of our listeners, this is probably the first they've ever heard of that event. Yes, so... DreamHack is a, a, a gaming paradise. If whether you're into esports or not, you go there, you can bring your computer, you can rig up in a room full of, you know, tens of thousands of people and play games for three days straight if you like. Um, but it's become a, over in, in the last maybe four or five years, it's become a real staple for global esports. So a lot of developers or leagues will, will wait for the next DreamHack to come along and do their world finals there. Uh, which is exactly what the the folks at High Res Studios have done this time around. They've got they've got their uh, Smite World Finals and their Paladins World Finals. So a lot of people would probably recognise uh, the word Smite. Um, a lot of Overwatch players out there would recognise the word Paladins because they it's probably something they like me. You know, stood in front of the the two of them at JB Hi-Fi and and walked out with with maybe Overwatch. Um, but, mate, Paladins is really, really starting to take off as a genuine worldwide esports contender. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Paladins is one of those titles where you'd only really know about it or heard about it if you've been in it. If you're outside of it, you may not have heard of it. 
believe it or not, although people row them uh, side by side with Overwatch and Paladins, they are entirely separate games once you kind of get down to the detail of Mm. it. Um, but yes, as an eSport, Paladins is, is really grown. They've got a global series that invites over 12 different gaming regions to come and compete for prize wins. Uh, and also they've got the Paladins Premiership League, which invites the best teams from Europe and North America to play. So, I mean, it's, it's happening. It's happening all year round. Um, and it's really exciting. Mate, um, I saw... Uh, first, actually, before I get to what I'm about to say, um, can you tell us a little bit about the... Paladin's team that is currently competing at DreamHack because they're achieving some incredible things at the moment. The the Kanga Paladin's team? Yes, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it, an interesting one. This so uh, there's there's eight spots uh, up for grabs in the Paladin World Championship uh, that is about to take place this weekend, and two of those spots were already taken by massive. Sorry, four of those spots were already taken by big international teams only leaving four places uh, left for the global series, the the other countries around the world. Now, amongst 12 teams, 12 global series teams from different places around the world, from uh, Australia to Latin America to China, these teams, these best paladin teams for their regions, flew over to Alpharetta uh, in the US to compete in what's called the placement stage, where they go through a vigorous uh, upper-lower bracket in order to qualify for one of those four positions. And Kanga Esports, Australia's very own Kanga Esports, uh, qualified for one of those four spots. So now they're on the way to DreamHack, which is exciting not only for us at Kanga Esports, but for Australian Esports. Uh, absolutely it is. And did you notice when um, they qualified, and I'm, I'm assuming this is the first time they have ever actually qualified for one of those eight spots for DreamHack, because it certainly seems special when it happened. Um, but did you guys notice uh, like a a massive uh, acknowledgement in terms of um, the world esports scene taking a, a closer look at Kanga Esports? Well, Kanga Esports in Paladins for the last few years has always been respected by uh, other Paladins organisations and teams and even the developers for, for a long time now. And everyone knew that Kanga was going to do well this time around. Um, the boys themselves even went into the placement rounds absolutely confident in their ability to play professionally against some of the world's best teams. So uh, it's almost like an expected underdog. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. Contradicts and, itself. And we love an underdog in this country, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? These, these, these guys are going into it, uh, are going up against teams that are on high salaries. Mm. They're, they're going up, they're defeating, they're, they're absolutely stomping players that are on salaries over in Europe and North America. And as you know, in the Australian esports scene, I mean, these guys are doing it out of passion. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what's, that's what's driving these boys at the moment. So to go over and to beat some of the world's best in order to qualify for DreamHack is just a, it's a great story. The top eight actually haven't started competing just yet. That takes place this weekend. That takes place this weekend. So the placement, the placement rounds in order for the last four of the top eight to qualify, that's already happened. Far out. It, it, I know, it's a little different. So it's like 12 teams go into a tournament to compete for four spots to meet the four best teams in the world to make up another group of eight that play at DreamHack. Um, have, you spoken to, <laughs> have you spoken to any of the guys that are over at, at DreamHack at the moment in the, in the last couple of days? How are they feeling? 
Yes, I've I've recently spoken to the team captain and Kanga Esports CEO Hades, and they are confident. They are absolutely confident. So they're they're going to be going into the quarterfinals versus North America's number one seed oh. in Envy, and they are tough. I have been keeping a close eye on that team throughout the year. They are absolutely absolutely amazing. They know exactly what they're doing when it comes to Paladins, but lucky for Australia, so do Kanga Esports. Oh. So I'm confident that they will do extremely well when it comes to the quarterfinals bracket. And is it just a knockout series throughout this bracket as well? Like if you is it is it initially points to get through to the semis or is it just if you don't win your game you're out? If yeah, it is a knockout bracket. So if they do uh lose to uh, Team Envy, then unfortunately they'll be out of the event. But the fact that they qualified for it is the real story. Oh, it is. And it it is a spectacular thing. And look, by by no means um, do I uh, belittle that message because, I mean, far out, anybody who knows anything about Australian esports... To have a team qualify for from Australia against the best, considering what they go through and the passion that you were talking about, you know, versus the highest paid teams in the world that have these massive gaming houses and huge corporate sponsors and a lot of money behind them, it is an extraordinary achievement by Kanga. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the lineup that we've had at the moment is probably the best uh, Paladin squad uh, lineup I've seen out of Kanga. Uh, it, it is just so strong. The boys know exactly what they're doing. They're absolute professionals at their craft. It's going to be a real exciting tournament this weekend, and I hope they push it to the very limit, like well, right to the end. Well, uh, we're looking forward to seeing how it all comes together. If there is anybody who actually wants to keep across it this weekend or even have an opportunity to watch the action, where can they go and do that? So, yeah, anyone who wants to watch the Paladins guys in action, you can jump onto Mixer. And on Mixer, you can go to Paladin's Game. And there they stream it in beautiful quality, all the action from DreamHack across both the Paladins and Smite competitions. After this, after all is said and done this weekend and the boys come home, what's next on the agenda for them? They'll go back to the Global Series uh, here in Australia. They'll continue to be the best team in the Australian or the Oceanic uh, Global Series and uh, move forward to a prosperous 2019 Looking forward to seeing it, mate. Justin Vingerhoots is the lead producer of Arena Esports and also from Kanga as well. We really appreciate your time today, mate. And uh, please pass on our very best to all of the boys at Kanga representing Australia in the Paladins at DreamHack this weekend. We can't wait to hear how it goes. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.